just thank you today for being with us. I have been doing a, a study, what is in my heart to do, and we've been doing, is about the new covenant. And so what we talked about a few weeks ago is the blood of the new covenant. And then we talked about the cross of the new covenant, or the altar of the new covenant. And a couple of weeks ago, we began the life of the new covenant. And we're going to complete this or get back into this aspect of it today the life of the new covenant. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. As you're getting that ready, I do want to mention to you that this Wednesday night is going to be our fellowship dinner. And so I encourage you to come. If those, if there are those of you here that have not been to it, um, I honestly believe you're missing out on something that is just very, very beneficial. Um, a, a wonderful opportunity to meet the church, meet people in the church. And this Wednesday night, uh, we're going to have a special guest speaking, Nick Godshaw from um, Times Square Summit uh, Church, and he's going to be speaking to us Wednesday night. So that is going to be a great blessing. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." And so this is what we're going to focus upon today, the, the life of the new covenant. And the life of the new covenant is the life of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible makes it very clear that men have the opportunity or the choice to live by the flesh or to live by the Spirit. And if a person lives by the flesh, they're going to live under condemnation. But if a person lives by the Spirit, they are going to live in freedom and in liberty. The life of living by the Spirit will fulfill the righteousness of the law. A life lived by the flesh will not fulfill the righteousness of the law. To move from the flesh to the Spirit demands a supernatural event to occur in our life. And that event is the new birth. It's, it's just simply that. And I want you to see this in, in verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So don't bring your own interpretation of what walking in the flesh is. And we might think, you know, walking in the flesh is walking in carnal lust, or you're walking in your own mentality, or you're walking in this, or you're walking in that, you're a Christian, and you've just kind of fallen into a carnal behavior. That's not walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh is to live a life that is not born again. Anybody that has the Spirit in them, they are no longer in the flesh, they are in the Spirit. This is very important in order to understand what Paul has been laboring to bring us to ever since he began Romans chapter 5, which is the two men, the first Adam that sinned and the second Adam, Jesus, that did not sin. The first Adam who disobeyed and brought death and the second Adam who obeyed and brought life. 
and those two lives. And if you're in the flesh, it's because you're in the first Adam and you're still under condemnation. If you've been born again, you've been brought into the last Adam, Jesus Christ, and you're now alive in the spirit and you're spiritual. So don't confuse this and, and, and don't become real brainy over these things because I've heard it so many times, you know, well, I'm a Christian and I've just got to live this spiritual life now and I can't be fleshly and I can't be carnal. Well, to answer that, you just need to be born again. And that answer is in verse 9. And I'm so thankful that it's there. If, if you're in Christ, if the Spirit of God is in you, then you're in the Spirit and you're not in the flesh. How simple does it have to be? But how complicated do we like to make it? So I just pray that we will not do that. Romans chapter 7 is Paul's testimony. It's his testimony from his birth um, into his life as a Christian. And he talks about in his Christian life that he had a real battle knowing what he should do, but not having the power to do it. He did not know how to exercise that power to do it. To will was present with him, but how to perform it, he couldn't find. So Paul said that I ended up doing what I shouldn't do. And I did not do what I should do. And he comes to the end of that and he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Which is this old nature that Paul wants to be set free from because it's a constant battle. And he, he brings this up again in Romans chapter 8 about how the creation is groaning to be delivered. And he said, and we also are groaning to be delivered. We're the first fruits of them. And we're groaning for the, the deliverance from this body, this this flesh, this carnal self that we still deal with and we still have to battle with. But if you remember, there are two passages in verse seven of chapter 7 of Romans where Paul says very clearly, one is in, in um, verse 17, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And that is very important for us to understand because he, he brings this out. He makes this distinction, it's not I that do it. And then he goes in and he says in verse 20, if I do what I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul is obviously talking about a dual nature here. He's talking about the old life and the new life. And his old life in Jesus Christ has only one propensity, and that is to sin. And the new life in Christ has only one propensity, and that is to fulfill righteousness. And these two natures are at war, which is where we come into our Christianity and deal with this aspect of sanctification. And the, the process of being made holy. Well, I want you to understand something. According to the new covenant, according to the covenant of blood that is in Jesus Christ and the whole entire book of Hebrews, there is nothing more that Jesus can do to make you holier than you are right now. If his death and his blood and his resurrection cannot make you holy right now, to meet God, then there's nothing else that can be done to make you holier than you are now. There's nobody in heaven that is more holy than a person on earth who is trusting in Jesus Christ and born again of God. And that's a hard concept for people to understand because you're very aware of your flesh. And you're, you're not like Paul who can say in chapter 7, this is no more me that does it. You're not like, you don't understand that. You, you can't walk in that freedom and that liberty, you, you, you beat yourself up 
You try to reform yourself to become a better behaving person. And if I'm a better behaving person, then I'm becoming more like Christ like that. And so I want you to understand this real process of sanctification. So in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, 1 through 5, we cannot deny that the process of sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our life in Jesus Christ. It is by the Holy Spirit that we are set free from the law of sin and death. And the Bible says very clearly in Romans 1, he tells us that this is the life of the Spirit in verse 2. And that's why we say that the new covenant life is the life of the Holy Spirit within the believer. That's the new covenant life. And so it is very important for us to understand this. So the question we might bring up this morning in regards to Romans 8, 1 through 5, and we want the righteousness of the law to be fulfilled in us, don't we? Because we know that under the new covenant, it's not go and live however you want to live because it's not you that does it anymore. That's certainly not the teaching of the new covenant. It says, how shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, now actually because of the new covenant and the life of the Holy Spirit in us, we can fulfill the righteousness of the law. So the question is, how do we do that? How is that accomplished in us? And I will tell you in a fundamental way, through the scriptures, not my opinion, how that is accomplished. And the accomplishment of this is repenting soundly and trusting in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about sanctification. It is repenting, soundly repenting, and trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, the issue and the teaching of repentance we might teach another day. I don't have time to go into all of that. But repentance is toward God. And repentance is a change of mind. Some people want to insinuate that if you are repenting, then you clean your life up, you stop your bad behavior, you reform yourself, and then you come to God and live a holy life. Well, nobody can do that. Nobody can clean their life up. Nobody can reform their behavior. Nobody can stop behaving in a different way. Nobody can do that. That's what the law taught us. So repentance is a change of mind and a turning to God and a forsaking of everything else. What are you forsaking? Romans chapter 8 answers that, and I want you to see this. Verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, that is a person not born again. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Does it say that they will not try to please God? No. Because Paul even references people like this in the book of Galatians that in the flesh they make a good show. They have all appearance of righteousness, but they have fallen short of the righteousness of God. So it doesn't say in verse 8 that, that lost people will not try to be religious and holy and please God. It just simply says they cannot. Regardless of their efforts or how valiant their efforts are, they're going to fall short of God's standard, which is Jesus Christ. And so what is the carnal mind? And, and again, understand this, because many people, they, they, they miss 
interpret this and they end up condemning Christians. And so they would say, you know, this, this, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm driving in Baton Rouge traffic and there's construction zones everywhere and people don't know how to drive in Baton Rouge and you just begin to get agitated and you're losing your temper and you're fussing at everybody and you call in everybody names and all of a sudden, oh, you're carnally minded now. Well, you might be carnal and certainly may be behaving sinfully, but you're not carnally minded. Carnally minded is the sin principle. It is the sin, the satanic principle and nature within fallen humans who are determined like Cain to bring their own offering to God and God must accept it. That's the carnal mind. That's what a person has to repent of. It's basically this. You come to a place in your life Where you really understand there is nothing good in you. So what are you trying to improve? You have nothing to offer God. So what are you looking for in yourself? There's nothing good in you. God did not save you because you were valuable. God did not save you because there was something in your fallen condition that was worth saving. God saved you because of the value of his grace. And the treasure that his grace would make you. And so God saves us, but it's not because there's something good in me or something of that nature, but the carnal mind is this. I will become religious. I will become good. I will do right. I will do the best I can to keep the law of God. I will live as good as other Christians live. I will strive to be holy. I will strive to not curse. I will strive to not cheat. I will strive to not steal. I will strive to be honest. I will strive to be upright. I will strive to be ethical. That's the carnal mind and I lived hard and I did good works and God must accept this. No, you will be condemned in that state and forever separated from God unless you repent of that man. That fallen man who is in you that is an enemy of God. And you realize and recognize that man. It's not the fruit of sins. It's not these, you know, you did lose your temper, you did curse, you did cheat, you did steal, you did lie. It's not those things. It's the repentance of who I am. And when you see that, which is an absolute miracle of God, then you turn from yourself and you turn toward God And you believe on Jesus Christ that you can do this. You can save me. You can change me. You can make me holy. You can make me ethical. You can make me moral. You can make me right. You can cause me to fulfill the righteousness of the law. You can do it. I cannot. And you believe him and you put your faith in him. And that's the repentance. And that's what men need to repent of. We spend so much of our time repenting over the rotten apples and the rotten bananas, as it were, the fruits of sin, that we never get to the root of sin, which is me. And so that's the carnal mind. And the carnal mind is always striving to do something better, do something different, show God that I mean it this time. Well, in order to repent of this man, you have to know that Adam has been soundly put away. He has been 
completely dealt with. It's this way, and I'm talking about sanctification in this regard. If you're going to live a new life in Christ Jesus, you must know that you are a new creation. If you don't know you're a new creation, you're still going to be pulling from your old man to gain the power to do what you know God wants. And as hard as you may try to please God, you will not please Him. You must know, and I'm going to Galatians chapter 20 if you want to turn there with me. You must know that you died with Jesus Christ. You must know that. It must be real to you. It must be true to you. That when Jesus died on the cross, I died on the cross and I no longer live. That's why Paul could say in Romans 7, that's... That's not me that does this anymore because that me died and has been put away and has been judged. In Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Paul wasn't there in Jerusalem when that happened. He didn't witness the crucifixion of Jesus, but he can say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you don't know that you were crucified with him, you can't live that life of faith. You may try, but you'll begin to break down. And so the two natures that are at work are in conflict with each other. And for you to have victory... You must know that you've died to that nature and you've actually received a new life that you can live by. And that new life is the Holy Spirit. Your forgiveness and your deliverance come by the same cross. It is not your merit or your reformed behavior, but it is the effectiveness and the proficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. And your faith in him. So the sanctification of God's children. And our battle with sin. And our desire to be holy. It is not uncommon for us. Like Paul did in Romans chapter 7. To struggle or strive by self power. Paul called it in Romans 7. Willpower. What is this? This is what it is. We know what God wants. So we try to produce it. We know what God wants. So we try to give it to him. We know what God wants. So we try to produce it. Rather than let God provide it. And many of us are struggling. In our willpower. If I'm going to be a Christian, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to live this way and I have to live that way. Well, you'll never do it. But if you're really going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you have to believe that he will provide everything he demands. He will give that to me. Sanctification is the education of learning to live by the life of my new parent. That's what sanctification is. It's an education where I'm learning to live by a new life that has come inside of me. And that life is the Holy Spirit. And as we see this in Romans chapter 8 verses 6 and 7, in order to live that new life, you have to repent of the sin principle, the carnally minded 
and in us or we'll continue to fall back on that. You know what disappointment is? How many of you have been disappointed with your Christianity? You know what that is? It is the belief in yourself and the, re- the realization that you failed. That's disappointment. How many of you have ever been disappointed with Jesus? Because he never fails. And that just shows us in the disappointment of our Christianity how we oftentimes do strive in our willpower to give God what we know he wants. When the Holy Spirit can... Now, this is supernatural. This is a supernatural revelation and understanding that God gives his people. If I could be stronger, if I could overcome this urge, if I could stop having this outburst of temper, and so we try, try, try. I'm going to get rid of all my TVs. I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to get rid of that. And I'm going to be holy now because I'm going to, you know, just just cleanse everything out of my life. Well, you, it's the heart. It's the life. It's the mind. It's the work of God. Brother Clendenin used to say, death is not the man on a barroom stool. Death is in the man that wants to be on that barroom stool. It's in the heart. And the heart has to be cleansed. And the heart has to be purged. But we work hard and we make vows. But this is not the answer. A new creation in Christ is the answer. And learning to live by that life of Jesus is the victory. And so we come under a tutorage. Now, before we were born again, who was our tutor? The law. But now that we're born again, we have been removed from the law. And it no longer has an application in our life under an old covenant. We've actually been given a new tutor. And that new tutor is the Holy Spirit who's come to teach us. Not like the law teaches, but he teaches us from within. I want to read this with you in Hebrews chapter 12. And this is really beautiful. And would to God we can rest here and, and, and believe this and trust in this and trust in our, in our Father who is so good to us and loves us so much. And he says this in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. I want you to understand that God's chastening and God's rebukes are grace. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourgeth every son whom he receives. So if you as a child of God get out of line from the family nature, your heavenly father is going to rebuke you and scourge you and correct you and chasten you. And that is grace. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had our fathers of our flesh, which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. 
Now, no change, and holiness is sanctification, being set apart, becoming Christ-like. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but it's grievous. So even the work of grace that brings grief to you, that's hard to you, cause you to suffer because God is chastening you and rebuking you. It's grace. It's new covenant tutorage. It is the father himself taking responsibility for his very own sons and daughters to make sure they partake of his holiness. The law could never do this, but God by the spirit does it. And so it's not joyful. It's grievous, but after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. And many people are not exercised that way anymore, especially in the church, modern church world today. I mean, we, we just bail on God. We bail on things. We bail on, on church government. We bail on church authority. We're not going to submit to pastors. We're not going to submit to leaders. We don't want their counsel. We don't want somebody to really bring biblical truth. I just want somebody to tell me what I want to hear and that I'm okay Well, maybe you're not okay, and maybe things are not right, and God needs to deal with this in your life, and it becomes grievous, and you will not allow yourself to be exercised by that. I'm leaving. I'm out of this church. I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else, and I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And so you have to be exercised by it. Verse 12, therefore lift up the hands which hang down the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So we need peace with all men. We need holiness. And without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. But praise God for verse 10. That he's a father who chastens his children so that they partake of his holiness. God's going to make sure we're holy to see him. God's doing that. And then he says in verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springs up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Because it's grievous, it's chastening, it's rebukes, it's hard, it's discipline, it's not fun, it's not joyful, and it's very possible for you to get a bitterness in your heart by somebody else in the church who's trying to be used by God to exercise discipline in your life, and you become bitter in all of this because you've failed of His grace. You've failed of His grace. Maybe God begins to chasten you about your behavior. Maybe God begins to chasten you about things you're doing. Maybe God begins to chasten you about your attitude. God chastens you about your church attendance. He chastens you about your tithing. He chastens you about what you're watching. He does all of these things in our life. And, and what do we do? We, we, we immediately begin to say, okay, God wants me to tithe. I'm going to tithe more. God wants me to do that. He wants me to go to church. I'm going to go to church more. God wants me to stop watching this. I'm going to stop watching that. And I'm determined to stop watching it because I'm going to show God that I mean it. No, you're failing of the grace of God now. You're trying to give or produce what God wants rather than allowing God to provide what he's demanding. It's not the fact that God's seen something in our life. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're, you're behaving that way. Stop behaving that way. God begins to rebuke us so that we can see I'm behaving this way and this is not the way of Christ. And I turn from my carnally minded self who will try to correct this on my own. And I repent of my heart that is so temperamental and so easily set off. And I trust you. 
to fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the gentleness and peace of the Holy Spirit so that I can behave from the heart like Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? Do you understand that? And yet very few Christians have really come into the freedom and the liberty of the new covenant as they work so hard to try to improve themselves. Going back to Romans chapter 6, I want you to see this in verses 5 through 14. Romans 6, 5 through 14. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. So there's an old man. I've been talking about a dual nature. There is an old man. There is a new man. That old man is crucified with him. His crucifixion is not different from yours. It happened at the same time. For he, in verse 7, that is dead, is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves, also yourselves, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. And that's a strong phrase, let not sin. Because there's a possibility you could let it. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. And it's possible that as a born again person you can. But yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you, this is so important, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And if you're not under grace, the law or sin has dominion over you. Like it or not, it does. You're still striving in your own carnal power and self to be something or make something, but When you come into Christ and you come into grace, you're set free from the law and you're set free from sin. And you come under another tutorage, which is the Spirit of God Himself who works inside you to give you the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the life of Christ. Now there's a verse here in verse 11 that says, Reckon, likewise reckon ye also. And I just want to talk about this reckoning for a minute And I won't have time to finish this, but I'm just going to introduce this right now. But the reckoning is so important. I am to likewise reckon myself to be dead. Now, think about this for just a moment. This does not mean that I'm trying to convince myself that I am dead. But it is the revelation that I was in Christ, 
when he died. And that's a fact. Therefore, I am dead. That old creation has been put down. There is a new life in me. You believe Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, don't you? Feedback. Yes? Why do you believe that? Were you there? Why do you believe that? Now, we know a lot is said about Jesus and his crucifixion, but we're also told that there were two thieves that died next to him when he was crucified in Jerusalem. Do you believe that? Oh, that was weak. Do you believe that? Why do you believe that? Have you talked to the two thieves? Have you talked to anybody that was there and saw it? Why do you believe it? Somebody. I know this is unique for me to ask for answers, but God's word says so. So when God's word says that I was crucified with him and I died, why is it so hard to believe? And that's the reckoning. It is an affirmation. If I were to take a dollar bill and put it into my pocket and then walk around and say, I reckon that I have $10 in my pocket. I want $10 in my pocket. I reckon that it's going to be 10 That's stupid reckoning. But if I put a dollar bill in my pocket and then I walk around the rest of the day and say, I reckon that I have a dollar bill in my pocket then that is not foolish at all because I know that it's there. And reckoning is not trying to convince myself that I have died. And it's not trying to produce my death. And that's what a lot of people do. They go around and they put this confession into their life. I walked the aisle when I was eight. I confessed Jesus to be Lord and Savior. All of these things. And now I'm trying to die and I've just got to die to self and I've got to crucify myself. Wait a minute. Where'd you get that? I know the Bible says take up your cross every day and follow him. I get that. I understand that. But the Bible says you've already been crucified and you've already died. Reckon upon that. But no, the the death to self, putting myself down, killing myself, all of these things is the work of the carnally minded. And there's no liberty and there is no fruit in that at all. And so to reckon upon something that is not factual is to reckon wrongly and to become very dissatisfied in your Christianity. And as you watch a lot of people do, maybe walk away from Christianity. Because they just feel like there's no hope for me. And so reckoning upon this, and if you read this carefully in Romans chapter 6, which I pray that you will, the principle of sin, the nature of Adam is there. In Romans chapter 6. In the believer. And if it's given the opportunity. It will influence the life. You see you can yield your members as instruments to God. Or as instruments to unrighteousness. Only a born again person can do that. People that are not born again. Do not have the choice to yield themselves members to Christ. They're slaves to sin and unrighteousness and the devil. 
But those that have been born again and come out of that have a dual nature there. Now, I could serve sin or I can serve righteousness. So we have to correctly reckon this. God does not remove the old man right away. That's what Paul's praying to get rid of at the end of Romans 7. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? But it is going to happen. But that old man has already been judged. And he's already been dead. And he's already been put away. And a new life has come up. And that new life is not under the law. It is in grace. And it is free. And it is liberated. And so this principle goes around. Verse 6 of Romans 6. When it, when it talks about. You know. This, this destroyed, the body of sin might be destroyed. It means actually to put out of operation or to make ineffective. Put it out of operation. Make it ineffective. How? By wa- walking in the spirit. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an overview because I'm going to have to come back to this. And I want you to listen to this carefully. When it comes to reckoning, I'm going to just give you a few things to correctly reckon about. Number one, reckon that you are dead if you're if you're if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You are dead. All of the you didn't get away with anything. You didn't get away with any of your sin. It's been paid for through Jesus Christ, and you were crucified with Him. And if you believe the two thieves were, why not believe you were? Reckon on that. But you think I got to cry for three days to be forgiven? No, you just got to believe. In the Lord Jesus Christ. All the tears in the world. Is not going to wash one sin away. But the blood of Jesus will wash them away. So you have to reckon. That you indeed are dead. And you were crucified with Jesus Christ. You would be amazed. How many people in Christianity. Have no concept of that. The second thing. That you need to reckon. Is that you are not perfect. You're not perfect. And you need to be careful because you know you're not perfect and you're going to experience the imperfection and you're going to be tempted to operate in your old man to do better and be better. And you need to be very, very careful. The third thing is, is you need to reckon that sin can be allowed to reign. But so can righteousness. You need to reckon on that. And there are authentic Christians, truly born-again Christians. You may find themselves in a season of struggle with sin. And it doesn't mean that they're lost. But it does mean that they're wrestling in a season against sin in their life. But I have to believe in Hebrews chapter 12 that there is a heavenly father who knows how to chasten them, knows how to rebuke them, and knows how to correct them so that they partake of his holiness. I have to believe that. You also must reckon upon the future promise by the Holy Spirit that you will be like him. You must reckon upon that. That I cannot judge my eternity by my future moment, my future state, my future struggle. I can't judge my eternity on that. But the Bible says in Romans 6, as he was raised, I shall be raised. And Romans 8 affirms this because if the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, how shall he not quicken your mortal body? I have to believe that. I have to reckon upon that. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand any of this. And we're going to touch on all these points in the next lesson. But this is very important for you to understand. This is not 
a, the grace of God is not a teaching of Calvinism. You can turn away from this, even as a believer. You can, you can walk away from this grace. You can walk away from this faith. If you will, you could become lost again. If you will, you could come to a place in your Christian life where Jesus has no longer any effect for you. And the grace that you once had was given to you in vain. That is a very real possibility. And we're going to look at those scriptures as well. So I don't want anyone to think or to assume, oh, well, you know, um, everything's just going to turn out wonderful for people. No, it doesn't. And some people fall away and some people turn away and some believers end up as non-believers. We're going to study that. As you see, I'm not going to make these things up. We're going to go into the scriptures with it. But I want you to understand that. If we live by the Spirit, then we'll walk with Him and we'll fulfill the righteousness of the law. But as far as belief in Jesus Christ and our salvation and our eternal hope and future, it's a matter of faith and grace. But when we change it to become a matter of faith and works, then Christ has become of no effect to us. And so that's the teaching in the book of Galatians that we will study more. But I just want us to take a moment, and Carl, if you'll come, I just want us to really thank the Lord for his infinite wisdom in order to bring an entire creation of corruption into one final judgment through his son Jesus Christ on the cross and put an end to you and put an end to me. And I just want you to lift your hands up to the Lord right now and just begin to praise him for that and begin to thank him for the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to ask the Lord, please help me by the Holy Spirit to receive the grace, the provisions that you want to give me that I might from the heart and from the mind live like a member of this family. I want to live by the Spirit. I want the righteousness that is in the law. I want to be set apart and to be holy. I desperately need the work of your grace to do it. I know that there are things that you want. My temptation is to get that for you. But in my flesh, it's an abominable work. But in my faith, it is a good work. And help me to live by faith, to believe that you are with me. Thank you for your chastening, correction, and rebukes that you brought to my life. I've tasted the bitterness because I failed of your grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for the new covenant life that is in the Holy Spirit. May we live and walk freely and joyfully in the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give revelation to everyone here in this, Lord. Because it's not a mental understanding that's going to bring the freedom. But God, it is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that it would produce such a power and such a life and such a reality, such a thanksgiving to you. We love you, Jesus.
Oh, we love you, Jesus. If you're struggling right now in sin, if you're struggling with some weakness, if you're struggling with your carnal mind, be able to do something in your own power to offer to God. Just come to Jesus today and receive His grace. Receive His help. Trust the Holy Spirit. That's why you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Going to church isn't going to change you. But the Spirit of God will change you. So in this next few minutes, just allow God the opportunity to touch you. Confess and repent. Repent. Turn from your own way. Turn from your own doings. Turn from your own goodness. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Him today.